Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, now as we spend some time in the Word, um, perhaps for those of us who have been a part of the church for our whole lives, it's a story that we've heard time and time again. And Lord, the problem sometimes happens that when we read a story too many times, it begins to lose its meaning. This morning, Lord, we pray, however, that you would breathe fresh life into an old story. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to the reality that you have created. And so as we spend a few moments here, Lord, I pray that all of the distractions would be cleared from our minds, that we would be fully present to the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This, this past week, I was, um, every five years, the Pacific Union Conference, which is California, Arizona, Nevada, I don't know what other state, Oregon, I don't, I don't think that's, but either way, every five years, pastors from all of these states, we get together, and the last time and this time, we got together in Ontario. So this week, I had the opportunity, I was blessed to hear some pretty good preaching, one of which happened to be a black preacher. So if my voice ebbs and flows this morning, it's because I was so moved by his style um, that it may, it may leak through, because that's what happens to preachers. We emulate people that we, uh, that we like. We emulate people who, who touch us. I really don't think that's supposed to be a little bit of a joke. If you feel a spring in your step, that's why. Um, but the truth is this. Um, I, uh, I used to live in Michigan for three years. I was in seminary in Michigan, and we were two hours outside of Chicago. So I, every opportunity that I had, if somebody needed to go to the airport, if somebody needed to be picked up from the airport, if somebody was like, hey, I'm going to Chicago for, you know, for tonight, does anybody want to come? I would always be the one that they would call because they knew how much I loved going into the city. But it wasn't just the city that I loved. It was one particular place that I liked to visit every single time that I went there to the point where people stopped wanting to ask me to go because they didn't want to go to this one place. This place that I stumbled upon late one night after my friend and I had gone to a concert, a Christian concert, Switchfoot, okay? We had gone, we were starving, we were hungry. It was like a Thursday night, it was a school night, but that's when the concert was. And so we were driving around downtown Chicago, and we came across this restaurant. It's a restaurant, this place that I like to go to. And it was, it, the name of this restaurant was Giordano's. Now, I had never heard of it. I, I assumed it was Italian because of the way it looked and some of the stuff that alluded to it being an Italian restaurant. What I didn't know and was um, pleasantly surprised by was that they served the best deep dish Chicago pizza. It's a heart attack waiting to happen. That's my caveat. Now, I can eat, okay? Ask my wife and anybody if you've ever eaten with me. Like, I will be full, and I will keep eating if the food is that good, right? You know how it is. When you're full, you're like, stuff's not as good. This is that good, okay? However, I can only eat one slice of this pizza because that's, I mean, that's how, and he felt guilty afterwards. But the point was, I love this place. I would go to this place every opportunity that I got. And I would tell people who were going to Chicago, make sure you stop at this place. And there was like five different locations, and I hit all of them at one point. And so I loved it. I said, make sure that you go there. In essence, what I was doing was proclaiming good news to my friends. I was not ashamed that I loved this place. And so I unabashedly or un is unashamedly a word? You guys know what I mean. I was not ashamed. 
to proclaim that this was the place you had to visit if you ever stopped in Chicago. Now, there were other pizza joints. There was Pizzeria Uno and Pizzeria Duo, or Du, whatever the French is, and those were not good. As a matter of fact, every time I ate at one of those, which was only once, my stomach didn't feel good. Excuse my, my personal, uh, whatever, what I'm saying, like my personal <laughs> divulgence. But there was only one pizza place that was good. All the other ones were not nearly as good. And so for those of you who may be here for the first time, you may be asking, this is not church. The pastor is talking about pizza, except that in a couple of weeks, what we've asked is for you to invite people, maybe one or two friends or a family member that you think may be willing to come to church. Maybe they haven't been here in years. Maybe they've never been. What we want to do I mean, you guys are here this morning, so I have a sense that a part of you believes that following Jesus is the best possible way to live. And there are other ways to live, and there are other philosophies and other types of Christianities, and there are all sorts of other ways by which you can live your life, but for some reason you are here because you believe that the best possible way to live is a life that is centered around God, and God follows the way of Jesus. And what we're asking you to do is if you really believe it, that you would invite a friend or a family member to come to church on September 24th. Because that morning, what we, our hope is, is it just like I proclaimed and evangelized, I know it's a tricky word, but just get, go with me, just as I evangelized you about Giordano's Pizza, which now you will go to if you're ever in Chicago, but just as excited as I was about that, I also am excited about Jesus. And I'm also excited about what God has done and is continuing to do in, our, in my life and in your life. There may be other ways that say that they're just, you know, that's just as good as Christianity. But I would say there is no better way. And I'm not bashing anyone else, okay? Understand, I, I have been called to preach Christ and Christ crucified, and I have been called to preach Jesus. And that's what I will preach, and I will not bash anybody else. But our prayer is that on September 24th, if Jesus, if, if, if Jesus is real in your life, if God has done something in your life, what we are asking is that you invite somebody so that we can also present them with a vision of who God is and what God wants to do for them. And so on September 24th, September, I want to ask you guys to continue to, to pray about that. So does that make sense, the pizza illustration? And you're all hungry now. This morning's message is called The Risk of Rejection. Two weeks ago, I dealt with this text, and we're dealing with it again, just to show you how rich and, and deep the script, how deep the scriptures are. I'm going to skip over this because it didn't fit in with my introduction. So, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John to the disciples, 
about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. As he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, but Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's an old story that if you are part of the church for more than a year, you've probably heard this story before. The reality is, is that a few weeks ago we talked about the power of God and how God can heal and, and, and heal and resurrect and make whole and fix whatever is broken, empty, or dead. But this morning we want to take out a more practical look at what this can mean in our life just as a believer, just as a person. And so the first thing that I want to look at is that it was Peter and John who were walking in together. One of the things that we see in the Bible is that when Jesus or when God calls people to do ministry, it is always done how? In twos. Because there is something about two people that one person may not do as well, which is why I think uh, God created marriage, or at least in the beginning, Adam and Eve, right? Because two are better than one. I know what it's like to be single and alone, and I know what it's like to be married, and as difficult as marriage can be at times, amen, it is all, for me, it's better than being single because there is richness and fullness that comes with that. And so the first lesson that I want you to learn or that I want to take from this, and it's probably the only lesson that says lesson one on it, it says that doing ministry is always better when you have a partner to do it with. Now, at this church, the head elder is not just a head elder, but it's co-head elders. And so for, I, that has nothing to do with me. It was something that this church decided would be best. And I, and I see how in our church, it's like good cop, bad cop. But I'm not going to tell you which is which. <laughs> but the re, That's a joke. But the reality is our head elders are awesome. They're God-fearing men who love this church and do whatever it takes for this church to, to move forward and to succeed. They are men of God. Um, and, and, I mean, they're unique, and so I, I'm, I'm glad and blessed to have them. But the truth is that there are strengths in two. There are strengths in Peter and John walking together. Now, let me give you an illustration from my own life, and I try not to do that, but I want to give you an illustration from my own life. When I was in seminary, one of the things that we have to do in order to graduate is you have to be a part of what's called a, um, a field school, which you go to a church, and they plan a five-week evangelism, you know, the five-week public evangelism where people come to church four days a week and on the weekends. But a part of our job as seminary students is that we have to go into the community and knock on doors. Now, if you've never knocked on doors, it's probably one of the scariest things I have ever done in my life. The nice thing was that they paired us up with somebody. And so we didn't go together, and there is a boldness that comes with being two 
as opposed to being by yourself. And there were a lot of rejections at the door. Hi, you know, my name is David. This is my friend Keisha. Oh, man, is that her name? I can't remember. It was a girl. She was awesome. But, you know, we came here. This is my friend Keisha. Anisha? I can't remember. But anyway, it was a long time ago. And we just were wondering if there was anything we could pray for you for. Is there anything in your life? Is there anything that we can just offer a prayer for you? And, and obviously, they'll be like, well, why are you guys doing this? Well, you know, we're, we're here in the neighborhood. We're a part of this church. Um, and we just want to let you know that we want to pray for you. And if you want to learn more about God, you know, there was always and, right? Then there's these Bible studies we would like to lead you guys through. I would say that in all of that, there was, and we did this for like two weeks for like four hours a day. I mean, it was rough. And it was here in Riverside, too. So it wasn't somewhere far away. It was here. And for the most part, people were like, no, no, I already believe in God, or no, no. And I wasn't as persuasive as maybe other people were. But what didn't detract me from all these no's was that my friend and I, we were going together, and we knew that we had something to give. And so the first observation as we move forward, we're going to be having a nominating committee soon, which is where we choose the, uh, the, the leaders for the next year or two. And one of the things that I would like to start instituting in this church is that every leader has somebody that works alongside them because we know how hard it is. Sometimes we get bogged down. Sometimes life gets so busy and we get so stressed that, you know, because the church is a volunteer organization, well, we don't have to live up to the expectation because as volunteer, I can't get fired. But the reality is, is when we work in twos, we are fulfilling the biblical view of what ministry looks like when it's done the right way. Now, just to give you just a quick two verses for this, Mark 6, it says, Then he went about among the villages teaching, this is Jesus, and Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff or a stick, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics, so just take one jacket. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, as you leave shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The idea is that God gives them authority, but together they go and they minister together. Now remember, it says that not everybody is going to accept you. Not everybody is going to say yes. Now I know that there are some of you in here who you want to invite some people, but you're afraid that they may say no. Or you're afraid that if you ask a certain specific person to come to church on the 24th, that then they may, um, they may not talk to you for a while because they think like, oh, they think I'm a bad person and I need to go to church. Because what, what we find now is that people can say, I, I can be spiritual without religion, which is true. But we don't come to church to fill a quota of spirituality. We don't come to church because that's what God wants. We come to churches because we gather together to lift our voices collectively in praise and prayer to God. Church is not a ticket into heaven. Church is the place we come because we've already tasted that God is good. 
We gather together because there is power in numbers. We gather together because there is something special that goes on in this building when we are together and we lift our voices in praise. Not everybody you invite is going to say yes. As a matter of fact, in your daily life, when you do talk to people about Jesus, there are going to be people who don't want anything to do with it. That's not a rejection of who you are. It's that they may just not be ready to accept that. There's a story where Jesus says, you don't toss pearls to pigs. The idea behind it is pearls, are they pretty expensive if they're good ones? Okay, I don't never, never purchased a pearl before or a necklace of pearls. But Jesus is saying something that is good you don't give to a pig because a pig wouldn't even know what to do with it. They would just trample over it because they would eat it. They don't know what that is. And so sometimes Christianity and God and Jesus is something good. But to a person that's not ready for it, it makes no sense for us to try to shove it down their throat. Because what it might do is it might turn them away even more from even wanting to come. So if there is someone in your life that you want to invite because they're this way and that way and you just want to cleanse them, probably not the right motivation. The right motivation to invite somebody is because you want to share with them what God has done for you. And then we go to Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, now this is a text, this is a good text, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. I would, I would put it like this. I would say that people like us, if they had the message of who Jesus is and who and, who and what God has done, it would change their lives. And it's not just that Jesus is going to swoop in and change everything. It's that the word repent that we read a few slides ago isn't that you just confess all your sins and then you change your life. But to repent is to turn from a life of selfishness to a life of selflessness. It's what I preach all the time because that is what God is calling us to do. Because if we turn from a life of selfishness to a life of selflessness, what we learn to do in this life is we learn to depend on God and depend on where he is leading us. And so when Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, I would say that there are people who need to hear the message of Jesus, that there are people who need to hear that there is a better tomorrow, that there is hope for the future. What people don't need to hear is that the world is so horribly bad that Jesus is going, that, like, that this is the end of the world. That is not good news. Good news is not painting a grim picture, but rather good news is that there is a God who is moving history forward and there is a God who will be with you up until the end of the age who will protect you and be with you and who has continually been there with you along the way. That is good news. That no matter what may happen, bad or good, that God is there with you every step of the way. So next week um, will be 10 years since the September 11 um, 
the, the September 11 terrorist action happened. And people began questioning God. If God is so good, why would they allow, why would God allow this to happen with so many thousands of people dying? And I had the same question. I mean, you know, I, I kind of knew the answer, I think, but it was still a good question to ask. And, and I was talking to one of my mentors, and he said to me, yeah, so this was in 2001, so it was a long time ago. And he says, and I said, you know, where was God? And, and he, you know what he said? He goes, he was with the firemen and the police officers who were running into the building while everybody was running out. He was weeping with those who were weeping. We have this idea that God has to do everything and fix everything, but the truth is, is that God needs us to be a or chooses to have us be a part of his redemptive work in this place. The harvest is plentiful. And so I want to go to this other text here. Paul is talking to the new churches, right? There was brand new churches, little churches sprouting up in the first century. And so this one church was following Paul, and a same pe another group in that church was following Apollos. And so what was happening is that everybody had a different authority, and so what started happening is that there was beginning to be divisions in the church, because we know nothing about that, right, in 2011? Not this church. Come on, guys. It's a general church joke. We've all been there. But the church was divided. People were following different leaders, and so Paul says this. For when one, one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. God gives growth. See, when you come... And, and, and if you're visiting today, if this is one of your first times, I'm, I'm not trying to do an infomercial or, or a pep talk for September 24th. I would hope that this is something that becomes a part of who we are. If we really believe, if you really believe and have experienced Jesus do something in your life, my hope and my prayer is that you would allow other people to come alongside you and be able to see that. Now, I'm not saying that it has to happen here. There may be people who come and they walk out and they say, that's not for me. There may be people who come that day and go to another church. We will bless them as long as they're a part of a place that is worshiping and praising God. And so we come to this place, and I want you to know, if somebody that you invite says no, if somebody you meet and you start talking about Jesus with them and they're just like, I want nothing to do with that, understand that all we're doing is planting a seed. How you live and interact with people plants a seed for whether this God is a good God or if it's a mean God. How you live and what you say, the words that you use, are planting seeds in the lives of the people that you encounter. So I, I believe there's a video coming up next. Okay, here we go. Next, this slide and then a video. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but the God who gives growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. This is for each one of us as Christians. And each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's fields, God's building. We, the church, as people are the church of God. 
God doesn't need buildings. God has called you to be a part of his redemptive work. God is calling you to, in essence, be a harvester, which what that simply means is that you share the message of who Jesus is to everyone that you have an opportunity to share with. And so at this moment, I want Aaron to run a video, and then I'll be back in like a second. I should invite him to church. I mean, what could happen? Let's go to church. I'm Jewish. What are you saying? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Just yesterday I was thinking I wanted to get up really early in the morning, go hear stories about old dead guys. Dude, let's do it. Let's knock it out. Yeah, totally. Let me check my calendar and make sure I'm clear for that. Delete. Yeah, dude, let's go to church. Let's party it up at church. What? What? I should invite him to church. I mean, what could happen? Hey, you want to check out church with me on Sunday? Cool. And by Sunday, we mean Saturday. <laughs> but there are these horrors. I've heard some people say, well... What if church is boring that day? <laughs> so we went through this process. There was a small group of people who went through this process and saying, um, what do we want church to look like on this day when people who may be coming for the first time? And we started having all of these, like, big ideas. And then I said, you know what? It's too fabricated because it's not real life. I said, when we come to church, we're coming to church because we're going to open up the scripture. When we come to church, we're going to gather and we're going to just fellowship with each other. When we come to church, we come together. For some of you, you come to church because some of your friends are here and this is the only time in the week you get to see them. That's okay too. See, the purpose for coming to church <coughs> is not to get somebody their salvation. That's Jesus. The reason we come to church is because we grow in a depth of understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what God is doing for us. The reason we come to church is so that we can fellowship with one another or, um, or, or rather than saying fellowship, we just, what, what's another word for fellowship? Hang out. We come to church because we want to hang out with each other. For the first 18 years of my life, I went to church because I wanted to hang out with my friends and it wasn't even because of the sermon. Church is a good place to be because it is about so much more than just salvation. It is about so much more than just the preaching. But what we want to do is we want to just plant the seeds in the lives of people that there is a better life. And so I'm going to finish with this next verse. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. Now, I wonder, there have been times in my life where I have anointed people, where I have prayed for people, where people are going through some rough spot and I have prayed for them and I pray with so much passion. Have any of you ever done that? And I remember, I remember I, right before I started pastoring, it was a week before I started officially, I went to visit my aunt in Mexico 
She had had, I believe, is it hepatitis C, the one that doesn't get cured unless you get a transplant or something. And I remember that she was sick, but she looked pretty strong. And then from one moment to the next, it just turned horribly bad, and we rushed her to the hospital. Um, I was supposed to come home that very next day, but I ended up staying. But I remember I was sitting around... The, I was there in the hospital bed with her, and I was the only clergy around, even though my family was Catholic, but they were like, well, you go do something. That's what they told me. And so I go in there, and, and like I prayed, and as I opened my eyes, it was kind of like, did it work? I remember then um, my aunts, I think three or four of them who, who are nuns, come in, and they have their rosaries and everything, and they were playing they were praying passionately and vigorously. And so then some of my other family was there. And I was, you know, because I'm an Adventist, you know, pastor. And, and the way I pray is like, God, you know, please be with, you know, so-and-so. Help her. Be, you know, not so passionately. Right? And I found myself growing in faith and wanting to, like, if I was more passionate about it, that then God would do something. And, and every time... Because then we went in circle, like one at a time, and every time I prayed, I was, you know, I tried to keep up with them, you know, because I thought that's what needed to happen, and, and I would open my eye, and it's like, is she better? Is she better? Now, she, unfortunately, she passed away within minutes of us actually getting her there. But there was this sense that was sometimes when I pray, it's like I want God to just, you know, flip the script, you know, and, and make everything right and make everything perfect. And so when, when Peter and John are there and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, I wonder if there was maybe like a, de- like a, like a moment of silence. I wonder if at any point when they were saying these, just this very short prayer, I wonder if there was any sense of maybe this isn't going to work, but we're going to try it anyway because God can do it. Now, I know the story says, if you read the very next verse, that they took his hand and immediately he stood up. But I wonder, is that exactly how it happened? Or was there this time where maybe they were like, maybe there was doubt in their hearts? Because I've prayed for people who are on their deathbed and nothing happens. Because I've shared prayers for people who are hurting and then they still hurt. And so at least for me in 2011, sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to do this, but I hope it works. God, I'm doing this for you, but I hope it works. And I have a sense that there is somebody in your life that you want to invite to come to church. Not because this is the place where salvation happens, because you just want to have the preacher introduce them to Jesus because you've tried and it didn't work. Or maybe you're you're too shy to introduce them. That's my job. Let me try. (laughs) Let me try. God will bless us on that day. Whether it's one or whether it's a hundred people, God will bless us because God has already been blessing us. But maybe when you make that ask, there is that risk of rejection. There may be that risk of they're just like, no, I'm just not into that. Or maybe the one person you ask, it will change their life for all eternity. As Christians, all Jesus is asking us to do is to plant a seed, to seed, water it. God does the rest. God does the hard part. All God is asking us to do is plant a seed and water, and God will cause growth. And God has the power to change lives. I want you to believe that in your own life. I want you to believe that. And so one of the things that this group of people said, well, and then we're going to be wrapping up with this, but they said, well, 
can you, can you give the church, you know, can you give us some idea of how we might be able to ask someone, you know, to come to church? Because it's kind of, you know, how do you ask? And I would say this. Don't trick them. Say, hey, um, on September 24th, you know, I'd like just to invite you to come to church with me that day. I think that you might, that you might like it. You don't have to say, I'm worried about your salvation. That's probably, you know, unless they're your wife or husband, right? But you can't, but you can't say, hey, I'm, you're a sinner and you need to come to church. Or I'm worried for your salvation. Or, hey, you know, or, or I don't want you to, to go through the Ten Commandments and then ask, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lusted over a woman? You have? Then by your own admission, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Why don't you come to my church on September 24? Don't do that. If you have to say, look, this has been meaningful to me, and I want to invite you, because when they're here, we're not going to change overnight. We're going to come to the Scripture. We're going to open up the Scripture because we believe that the Holy Spirit through the Scripture has the power to change our lives and transform us for even better life. So when I come here, I'm not going to make an apology. I'm not going to have 10 different stories and then use one Bible verse. I mean, I'm going to, I have to go through the Scripture, Amen. Because we believe that that's what we know about God. What we're doing is we're just going to introduce and plant a seed. Do not be afraid and do not be ashamed, you guys. God has brought you this far. And we just want to introduce other people to this. The good news of the gospel is that God will one day renew all things and make all things new. In the process, he is doing that in our lives, for we are a new creation in Christ. That's for those of you who are visiting, for those of you, it's Bible word for saying that this man, Jesus, is continually shaping and transforming our lives to help us to reach maximum potential in this world. He is reaching us and transforming us that we would fully understand who we are in light of the Creator. That's what we want to do in just a couple of weeks. And I believe that God will bring those who are supposed to be here. And if somebody says no to you, it's okay. You've planted the seed. You've already done what God has called you to do. When they come here, we will just water. And we believe that God will do amazing things. And, and just one last caveat. We aren't doing September 24 so that our church will grow. I don't believe in the natural church development. I don't believe that if you do these five things, your church will grow. If our church stays the same size, I'm fine with it. I want to grow a healthy church. I want to be a part of a church that gathers together, that breaks bread together, that eats together, that worships together, that prays together, that struggles together. We are not doing this to grow our church because if that's why we're doing this, we've missed the point. This is just so we can introduce somebody to Jesus and perhaps have them to, to give them a chance to trust Jesus in a new way. That's why we do it. And please be very clear about that. That's why we do it. If you're visiting us, understand that th this morning it's not just an infomercial, but rather it's, a it, it's, it's our motivation. It's our, it's our reason for existence as a church. We do this because we believe that God will change lives because he's changed our lives. At this moment, I want to invite Crystal and Nicole to come up, and they're going to come lead us in our, in our song of reflection, bring in the sheaves. Uh, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie.
shields. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Sowing in the sunshine, sowing in the shadows, fearing neither clouds nor winter's chilling breeze. By and by the harvest and the labor ended, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Going forth with weeping, sowing for the master. Though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. 